Good morning, everybody. Wow. I didn't know there was, there was only one person here this morning. That's amazing. You can't let the cold weather drag you down, you know. Get your hoodie on. I love hoodie weather. Hoodies are the best. All right, welcome to City Light. If you're new, my name is Nate. I'm one of the pastors here. Please fill out the Connect card on your seat. We'd love to get to know you and give you a gift on your way out. Just real quick, reminder, October 28th is our most epic fall festival. It's going to be amazing. And so make plans to be there three to five to join us to serve. It's going to be an awesome time uh, where we bless our community and share the gospel and have a lot of fun together. So you don't want to miss out on that. Uh, Today we're continuing in our series on faith. Uh, We're right right in the middle of it, and we're going to continue to talk about what does faith look like. And as we've seen, we're going to give you examples from Hebrews chapter 11 as to what does it look like to have faith. Today, we're talking about a faith that works, a faith that works. The question is, does your faith actually work? Does your faith make a difference in your daily life? Does your faith affect your decisions? And for many of us, is there evidence of your faith in your real life? Is your faith more than words, but is it backed up by your works? What does your faith actually look like? And part of what we're going to learn today is that faith that works requires faith when it doesn't make sense. So faith that works requires faith when it doesn't make sense because faith really works when faith is all we have. Here's what we're going to see. Faith really works when faith is all we have. When we're left with simple trust and faith in who God is and what God has done, that does not compute with our mind and our ability to navigate our circumstances. When faith is all we have, then faith is doing the most work. And so often, God is going to leave or allow situations that don't make sense to us And it is an opportunity for us to live by faith and to apply our faith in our daily situation so that we can have a faith that works. And the more we have faith that works, our faith gets stronger and stronger over time. And this is what God wants to offer many of you this morning. Some of you are saying, I need to to grow in my faith. I already know Jesus. And some of you, though, you're here or you're watching online, your faith doesn't work simply because it's in the wrong place. And until you put your faith and your trust and your life in the hands of Jesus, your faith will never work, nor will it ever make a difference in your life. So I'm going to offer you that this morning. Just a reminder, preaching is a group project, all right? I need you guys to join me in this. You'll be getting a grade in heaven based off your participation this morning. I will preach better if you will talk more, okay? So that just let it. There we go. A few of you are ready. There was, this, there was a lady. I don't think she's here. Maybe she's watching online because she was out of town. She was sitting in front last week. She said, every other sentence, I just wanted to stand up and hoop and holler. And I said, you can do that. You have the freedom. She's like, oh, I didn't know. I didn't know. So just in case, you know. There's permission. That's all you need is a little permission. Okay, great. You have my permission. All right. So uh, go ahead and open to Hebrews chapter 11. Let's go. Great. We have five wonderful verses this morning, 17 through 22. Verse 17 says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead 
from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. We'll stop there today. As we've been talking about, we're going to learn faith and how faith works, and we're going to look at different stories. I mean, the great thing about Hebrews that we've been saying, Hebrews 11 gives you a definition of faith in the beginning, and then application through example. This is great. I mean, this is how you learn. What is it, and what does it look like? And that's exactly what you're going to get, and we're going to get lots of different situations. What does it look like here? What does it look like in this? So we've already been talking about what does faith look like in the middle when you're waiting? What does faith look like when you're not receiving the things promised like we talked about last week? What does that look like? Well, today we have several examples. We're going to spend most of our time on the first, but the people we'll learn from today are Abraham and Isaac. There's an example there. Isaac and his sons, Jacob and Esau, there's an example there. Jacob and the sons of Joseph, and then Joseph and his mention of the Exodus. These are the, the four kind of examples, situations that we're going to learn. And as I was pondering this and thinking about this, one of the things I noticed right away was all of these examples come near the end of their lives. All of them are the last three at the very, very end of their life, and Abraham when he is very, very old. All, three of, all four of these examples come near the end of their life. And what I think we learn from this is that there's something uh, special or significant about faith that makes it to the end stronger than how it started. That's the goal. You think about all the amazing things that some of these people did. Think about Joseph. If you know anything about the Bible and all the things Joseph did that you can say, well, that was an act of faith. And the thing that was pointed out about Joseph's life was the thing he did at the very end that we might, we might think is the most insignificant. But it's significant because it reveals a faith that is getting stronger as it gets older, a faith that has made it to the end. And therefore, it makes it extremely significant. And that's what I hope for all of us is a faith that gets stronger as it gets older and a faith that makes it till the end. It's a faith, so to speak, that works. In a sense, it's a faith that works out. And because it's a faith that's working out, it's getting stronger over time. But when we do not use our faith and we don't work it out, our faith muscles grow weak. And it gets weaker as opposed to stronger. And I want this morning to help you grow, to help all of us grow, to get stronger in our faith and to have a faith that makes it to the very end, a faith that gets stronger over time by putting in the work. So if faith is going to grow, it has to work. And as we said before, faith works most when it doesn't make sense. So if your faith is going to grow, it has to work. It has to work out. It has to work. It has to be applied. Your faith works most when it doesn't make sense. So the times when life doesn't make sense are the most opportune times for your faith to grow. And are therefore the most useful times in your entire life. You have to have heaven's perspective. So instead of the times that don't, making, that don't make sense being the most difficult to navigate, when you begin to understand God's perspective and what he's, what he's doing in your life, you begin to understand that these are the most useful times of my life. And instead of me being down and out because it doesn't make sense, I begin to rise with confidence because God must be up to something big. 
I want you and I want us to grow and to be able to have the kind of faith that works best when it doesn't make sense. To have the kind of faith that gets applied in real life and to have the kind of faith that works, that has evidence of its reality in your life, not just in your words. So in light of that, I have three things for you as we work through this passage about how faith works, how faith grows, and what faith does when things don't make sense. The first one is this, is that faith works best in a test. Faith works best in a test. You don't get hardly, what is it, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven words before this is mentioned in this verse. By faith, it says, Abraham, comma, when he was tested. We say, I would like to avoid that paraphrase in my life, you know. By faith, Nate, when he was tested. You're like, can we just skip that part, you know? <laughs> By faith, he just, ah, you know, yeah. No, no, no. But what is it? it? Just quick, right off the bat. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested. And we're going to see throughout all of these examples, they all involve some form of testing. Every one of them. Abraham was tested by the willingness to offer up Isaac. Uh, the next two were tested because you're going to see that what they did was the opposite of the norm. They had to bless the younger brother over the older brother. They had to go the opposite way that they expected. Their faith was tested to go against their cultural norms and to do what God said, even when it doesn't make sense. It'd be something like, we've never done it that way. And God would be like, yeah, that doesn't matter to me. <laughs> this is what I'm telling you to do right now. It doesn't make, they're tested. And then obviously Joseph's mention of the fact that Israelite will need, uh, will have an exodus, which means at some point they will be enslaved and stuck. There's going to be a test. Every single one of these includes a test. And what we're going to learn about faith is that faith works best in a test. Here's something that's helpful for us to consider as you navigate your life is that the path from believing it to seeing it often involves a lot of struggling with it. You say, the path from believing it, yeah, God can do it, to seeing it, yeah, it is done, often involves a long road of struggling with it. It involves a test. You don't go from believing it to seeing it without God testing it. And that's part of how God works. So when you're in the midst of struggling with some of the things that God has promised or some of the ways that your life is going, Remember that it is the norm in the scriptures and in the lives of people who follow Jesus that the path from believing it to seeing it takes and involves a lot of struggling with it. A lot of struggling with it, a lot of being tested. We would love to go straight from the prayer to the blessing, right? Straight from the promise to the revelation of the promise, straight from point A to point B, but often in God's providence, that's not how things work. The path involves waiting, it involves struggling, and it involves testing. And you partly, just to understand your Christianity, need to know that this is how God works. Just for your expectations to be correct, this is the normal way that God works in the lives of his people. He is going to put your faith to the test. And he's going to do that multiple times over and over again. And we're going to walk through why, because it's very important why. But that's what he does. We'll see throughout these scriptures as well that often the way God tests us is he uses the blessings as a means of testing. The things he gives to bless us, he'll then turn it around and ask us if we're willing to let go of them. 
if we're willing to release even the things that he has given us? Do we continue to trust God to provide and our faith gets tested? You say, Lord, you, you gave me this or you revealed this to me or you helped me with this. And God's saying, well, are you willing to trust me again? Will you trust me again? That might be for some of you what he's saying today is, will you trust me again? Will you trust me again? Will you trust me again? Often he uses our blessings to be the means of testing. What I also want you to see from the life of Abraham here is that the test that God gave Abraham went much farther than he thought. And much farther than we think. Oftentimes the test lasts longer and is more difficult than we are ready for. Think about the fact of what Abraham was doing. You know, the story is God tells Abraham that, first of all, the promise is that Abraham will have a son, and by that son, that he will be the father of many nations. You know, Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's us praise the Lord. This is, you know, it comes from here, okay? Abraham says, makes this promise. So Isaac is the essential part of this promise. And God tells Abraham, you need to sacrifice Isaac. And Abraham's like, what in the world? That doesn't make any sense. So Abraham, though, and we're going to walk through this, begins to follow the steps to do that. But you know what is interesting is God let Abraham go all the way to holding the knife. Abraham had a lot of steps to get there. God didn't stop Abraham in the middle of the test on the way up. Walking up the mountain, he didn't stop him and say, Abraham, I see your heart. This was just a test. You know, it's like when they send you the text and the message, uh, your, alarm, your alarm goes off on your phone and say, this is just a national security test to make sure we can, you know, this is just a test. This is just a test. No, Abraham's walking up the mountain thinking, is this really, you know, is this really going to, and God doesn't stop him there. Abraham begins to look for some wood and build an altar. He doesn't stop him there. Abraham gets to the point of tying up his son and placing him on the altar. He doesn't stop him there. The test goes all the way until the very last second. All the way. Sometimes this is very helpful for us to remember and understand that sometimes God tests us farther and longer than we are ready for. And you have to understand that I hold on to hope up until the very last second. Maybe you're in the middle of the walkway up the hill. Maybe you're in the middle of preparing the altar. Maybe you're in the middle of taking one step of obedience after the other, and it doesn't seem like God is going to come through. And God is continually testing and testing and testing. And my encouragement to you is to continue to trust God in the midst of your test. Don't give up and walk out when you're on question 25, when there's 50 questions on the test. Because you're going to grow. Because here's why this is so important. You say, okay, why? You say, okay, stop. I, I get it. Why in the world would God do that? God is supposed to be good, certainly supposed to be kind. I thought he loved me. Like, why is he doing that? Is he just playing, quit playing games with my heart? You know, he's, he's just playing games with my heart. Some of y'all got that. If you're old enough for me, <laughs> like, who can name the band? Thank you, okay, okay. All the 20-year-olds are like, what? You know, I don't understand. Y'all aren't as cool as us older folk, okay? There used to be this thing called boy bands. All right, so anyways, anyways, totally random. These are the things that happen in a message you don't plan. They just pop into my head and I say something, all right? So 
why is God, why in the world, like, this is really where your faith starts to, you know, it's like, why would God do this? Why would God let this happen? Why is he testing me? For what? That sounds like strange. He's my dad. I don't test my kids. <laughs> like, hey, pass these 10 questions, little Josiah. Not, you know, I don't do that. Why is God, why is God doing that? Well, here's what I, here's what I want you to understand. Is that your faith is the most important thing about you. And God wants you to know whether your faith is real or not. Here's another way you could say this, is that attesting is a blessing because it reveals what you're really believing. Attesting is a blessing because it reveals what you're really believing. The testing is a blessing You do not know how good your team is until you play a better team, until it's put to the test. You may think you're good, and some of you have been fooled this season into thinking your team's any good. It's like the commanders won their first two games because they played bad teams, and then they lose the rest of them. You thought they were good, but they're not good. No, as soon as you get tested, it gets revealed. No, not as good as we thought, not as good as we thought. You don't know how strong your arms are until you start to work them out, until you test them, right? You may think you're strong and then you can only do two push-ups, and you realize the test has revealed that I need to work out more, you know? You don't know how smart you are until you get tested. You don't know the reality of how smart and strong and good you are until it gets tested and until it gets tested hard. Okay, if you're my age, you don't reveal your strength of mind by passing a kindergarten test. Okay, what's two plus two is four. A, B, can you do your ABCs? Can you, can you draw a circle, you know, like circle, square, triangle? But I'm a genius. But like, no, what in the world? That test is for kindergartners. I passed the test. No, how would I know how smart I am is by taking a test that is hard, something that reveals how, how, th- how much things I really know. This is why they make people go to like medical school, okay? That stuff is hard to make sure you know what you need to know because you gotta know what you need to know if you're gonna be cutting people open. You can't just be halfway knowing things. So the test reveals how smart you are. The other good team reveals how good of a team you are. And so it is with your faith. That the difficulty of the test is necessary to reveal the reality of the faith. This is, 1 Peter describes it this way. 1 Peter 6, 7 through 6. It says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Verse 6, why? Verse seven, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Why am I being grieved by these various trials? Why would a good, kind, loving God grieve me through allowing a variety of trials? Why would he do that? So that your faith could prove to be genuine and your faith is more precious than gold. 
Your faith is more precious than a healthy body. Your faith is more precious than a good relationship. Your faith is more precious than enough money. Your faith is more precious than more time. Your faith is more precious than a better job. Your faith is more precious than anything this world could give you. And so if God uses the things of this world to test the thing that needs to be true, then consider it a blessing. Man, what a mean God. What a mean God he would be if he didn't give us this insight into our own hearts. What a terrible God he would be if he just let us go about our business thinking we're something that we're not. What an awful God he would be if he didn't help us get stronger in the one place that matters. No, that would be a bad God. But he's a good God. And because he's a good God, he'll test your faith. So you need to flip your perspective. God is not being bad to you to allow various trials. He is actually being very good to you. Your faith is the most important thing about you. And the testing is a blessing because it reveals what you're really believing. Faith needs a test, which is once again going back to what we said. Faith works most when it doesn't make sense. Faith gets stronger when it doesn't make sense. And faith works out the most when it doesn't make sense. So that's the first one. Faith works best in a test. And if you're in a season of testing or a trial, just try to grab God's perspective on what he's doing in your life right now. He's being good to you and kind. Second thing is that faith works by obedience. So the very next phrase, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Just take those three words. It reveals the rest of what's happening, and all the other people that are mentioned have the same type of examples. They, their faith was more than what they said, but it was a reality by how they lived. Faith doesn't work by words. It works by works. So... The faith that saves is based off the work of Christ. So faith still works by works, just not yours. Faith is not freely given. It is freely given in one sense, but it was earned by the work of Christ. And any religion that can try to absolve your sins without the work of Christ is lying to you. The, the reality of having your sins being forgiven requires work. It requires a sacrifice. It requires what Jesus has done. So your faith is based on works, just not yours, but the work of Jesus. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Your faith is not based on an idea. Your faith is not based on a philosophy. Your faith is not based on an abstract theological concept. Your faith is based on blood and sweat. Your faith is based on a body that was nailed to a cross. Your faith is based off God becoming man and living on earth, dying and rising again. Your faith is based on works, just not yours, the work of Jesus. 
And that's first the place that some of you, you haven't gotten there yet. Your faith needs to be put in Jesus. Your faith is on your own works or some other prophet or some other thing. But the only work that is sufficient enough to forgive your sins is the work of Jesus. And God has brought you here or you're listening online for God to tell you you need to put your faith in the work of Jesus Christ. But also we see now that faith requires works. Not only does it require the work of Jesus as a starting point, but then it requires the works of those who put faith in him to make it real. Faith is not real without work. So we're not, I didn't have time for all this. I don't want to get into the whole thing, but James 2, basically, I'm just going to summarize it for you, uses the example of Abraham to reveal to us that faith without works is dead. So the example of Abraham is that In the beginning, when he believes God, Genesis 15 says, it's counted to him as righteousness, which means that his belief and trust in who God is, is what enables him to be counted righteous. It's what saves his soul. It's what makes him new. It's what gives him salvation. But as you progress towards the the way of Abraham's life, it's what happens later in Genesis 22, when he's willing to give up Isaac, that so to speak completes the faith that he put in Jesus, because his works revealed that his belief was genuine. So James 2 pulls this example out, and it says, Abraham was justified by faith through works, meaning that he was justified by faith in Jesus, he believed in God, it was counted to him as righteousness, but his works, so to speak, worked it out. His works revealed that his faith was genuine. And so from our humanly perspective, you cannot be certain that your faith is real unless it has a real impact on your life. So you say, God knows the condition of your heart, however that gets played out, but you don't and I don't. And one of the things that we see that's necessary is that a faith doesn't work if it doesn't have works. Faith doesn't work if it doesn't have works. It, it requires this as a way of living it out. So faith, this is what you realize. Okay, faith, the, the substance of working out your faith in regular life is obedience. That's what it is. It's just taking the next step. It's doing what God has asked you to do. It's obedience. Say, how do I live by faith in each and every situation? I obey God. It's that, it's really like, if you want to shove it down to say, I don't have to be full of this great confidence or rah, 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 or be motivated. But if I just obey the commands of God, which are evidently clear in the scriptures, and I take steps towards doing what he has clearly told me to do, then I will 100% in every situation of my life be living by faith. To live by faith is to live a life of obedience, a life of good works unto God. That is how you live by faith. You do stuff. You honor the Lord. You run away from sin. You run towards the poor and you help the needy. You give stuff away. You share. You're kind. You're generous. You're faithful. You're committed. Like, these are the ways you share the gospel. You read the scriptures. You pursue God. Like, these are the ways you're going to live by faith. So Abraham reveals this. This this huge theological concept for us is that faith It starts based off the work of Christ, not ours, but then it includes our works as ways to reveal that the faith is genuine. That's why James 2 says, it's very simple, faith without works is dead. It's not alive, which means it doesn't exist. So works are necessary for faith to be alive. So Abraham reveals this truth to us and he begins to live this out. Abraham immediately obeys God. 
So like I said before, Abraham was asked to give up the only means of God's promise. So God made him a promise and he gave him a son, Isaac. I mean, he had the other son, Ishmael, but he did that the wrong way. So that one doesn't count for the promise. And he, he gives Isaac the right way, the way God had asked him to. And this is his only chance. Like this, there's not like 10 of them. There's one by which the God's promise can be filled. There's only one option by which God can fulfill his promise to Abraham. Only one. And then God asked Abraham to give him up. So in Abraham's logical mind, uh, to sacrifice Isaac would be the end of what God had promised. I mean, how, how could it be anything else? So what does Abraham do? Well, his faith goes beyond what he can understand. And he begins to believe that if God wants to raise Isaac from the dead, he can. So his faith is reasonable based off what God is able to do, not reasonable based off what he can understand. A commentary said this way. I thought this was really helpful, so I'll just read it to you. When Abraham was confronted with a promise and a command from God, which seemed to contradict each other, he did what we should all do. He obeyed the command, and he let God take care of the promise. God was more than able to do this. A simple way that I think I've shared with you before, and my wife and I say this to each other a lot, is that we do obedience and let God do outcomes. It just simplifies your life a lot to say, my job is obedience. God's job is outcomes. So instead of stressing or worrying about outcomes, which is what we spend most of our life doing, I can simplify my life into an obedience, and I can only obey in this one moment. I can't go backwards, and I can't go forward. So my life is simplified to this very moment of my life. How can I obey God? How can I do what God has asked me to do? I do obedience, and God does outcomes. So Abraham applies his faith, his belief that God made him a promise. The promise was going to be fulfilled through Isaac, and that if Isaac needed to be raised from the dead, God could do that. So his faith was able to supply the information needed for him to move forward and do something about it. A way you can say this about faith is that faith trusts enough to try. Faith trusts enough to try. It trusts enough to say, I trust God's ability enough. I trust God's promises enough to try to at least try to move forward, to at least try to take the next step, to try, I don't know exactly how this will work out, but I can try, I can try. Faith trusts enough to try. It trusts enough to try. What does that look like for you in your own life? What does it look like for the things God might be asking you to try? Just in faith, just in trust. One time I got stuck on, uh, I don't know if you guys remember this, but it was like a couple months ago, 495 got like totally blacked out. You know, like on the maps when it's like not red anymore, but it's black and you're like, oh no, like that's, that is like the apocalypse scenario that I can definitely make it through orange and I've dealt with enough red, but man, when it gets to black, you're just sitting there forever. You don't know. So I took the expressway thinking, ha ah, you know, gotta get them. And I, we get stuck on the expressway. And so you look over to your right, and I think I found out later, like, I don't know, the president was coming through. There was some something. They had just blocked off 495 completely. It wasn't like one lane. It was like no lanes, okay? But nobody knew that. So you're just sitting on the expressway, and it gets to the point, like apocalypse, everybody gets out of their car. So it's, it's, you've been sitting there long enough to think, this obviously isn't going anywhere. 
I'm just going to get out of my car. So, you, you know, it's on the interstate, literally the interstate on the expressway. I'm on the part, like the little bridge part where you can look down on the 495. Usually you look down on people who are stuck in traffic and you're moving forward. But that's not what happened this time, right? So we were humbled in our, in our situation. And we're, we're stuck there too. And eventually, one of the cars we see turn around and they just go up the, uh, what's the, the, the emergency lane. But I'm on 49th Expressway and I'm trying to think in my mind, I don't think that would go anywhere far enough back. Like, like I'm, I'm on exit like 45-ish, 46-ish. I'm not, I don't, you know, and I meet this guy, Norm. So Norm's sitting out there, you know, it's like we're all hanging out. Everybody's best friends now. And, and, uh, and we're like, he's like, I've, I've been sitting there for like an hour. So I'm like, I just got to do something. I cannot take this no more. I mean, if I just have to go backwards, lift my plane, and like, like I just, I just walk away. I don't know. I just can't sit here no more. And eventually, I was like, I saw somebody, and you know, I haven't seen them since. They didn't come back. Wonder where they went. He was like, I don't know. And I was like, you think I should try? He was like, here's my number. If you do, tell me. If you can. If you get out, you know, you make it out, brother, give me a call. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, whatever. Like, what's the worst that could happen? I could get pulled over. I mean, that's not terrible. I mean, worse things have happened than that. Um, you know, and I get stuck somewhere else. I guess I could accidentally hit somebody. So I'm in my truck and I, I, I move over to the emergency lane uh, and I just start going backwards. And I'm just like, eventually, hopefully this will lead somewhere positive. I don't, I don't really know, but I'm going to try, you know. I saw that somebody disappeared, and I'm, I'm going to try. I'm going to see what happens. And I moved all my way back, and just at the perfect moment, that last little toll exit on, for exit 45 to switch all the way around to go towards uh, Reston and all those places, uh, right before the road ends, there was that one little exit spot, and I just backed my way into that sucker and drove off. And I called Norm and I said, get out of there, Norm, you know? And me and Norm spent like 10 minutes on the phone talking about Jesus. It was fun. He was all these questions. He was like, yeah, we were like, we were like linked forever, me and Norm, okay, after that point. He even called me like two hours later to be like, thanks a lot, brother, you know? Like, yeah. So we made it out. I spent like forever in resting because I couldn't get over 495 for a while. But I had enough faith to try, okay? That's the point. And when you try... There's things that open up that you don't know until you get there. And what I want you today is to say, obviously, trusting God is a million times more reasonable than my act of faith to trust the fact that somebody disappeared and didn't come back. Maybe I can disappear also. Like, God, had, God is able to do what you need him to do. And what God wants you to say is, I know you can't see the exit. I know you can't necessarily plan your way out, but I want you to take the next step and try. And it may seem like everybody's going this way, but I'm going to want you to go this way. I want you to try. You don't exactly know where this is going to go, but I am reliable, God says. I want you to try. Faith, trust, just enough to try. Not enough to see it all the way through every second, but enough to try. Even if it's a trembling try, even if it's a little step. Faith, trust, enough to try. Faith takes action. Well, how did Abraham take action? It says here that he considered that God was able. So he began to fill his mind with truth, the truth that God was able to raise the dead. Here's something you need to understand is that you won't try if you're believing a lie. You won't try if you believe a lie. Trying requires a trust in the truth. 
And to trust the truth, you have to fill your mind with the truth. Remember last week we said your heart follows where your mind leads. Faith requires being stuffed with the truth. If you want your faith to be powerful and strong, you have to fill your heart and your mind with the truth because you won't try if you believe a lie. Say, what if, what if, what if, what if? My God doesn't work that way. And so you have to fill your mind with truth. Abraham considered the truth and he operated on the truth. He operated on the facts of who God is. He operated with faith, not on his feelings. And so faith leads him this way. Abraham considered, imagine this, that his son Isaac, who was going to be the fulfillment of the promise, was born out of what the Bible says, a womb that was as good as dead. So his wife Sarah was very old, and the Bible says her womb was as good as dead. And so Isaac is born from a dead place. And so Abraham says, well, if Isaac came out of a place that was dead, then he can come back from the dead. But Abraham considers what God had done before, and it supplies the faith needed to operate today. I wanted to encourage you this morning to stop throwing away God's faithfulness to you. You're just throwing it away. But rather think about God's faithfulness like leftovers. You got something yesterday and it's still good today and you can eat it. But you're just throwing it away. You're not using it and throwing it away. All these wonderful things God has done for you. You're not thinking about it, remembering it, or considering it when the very faith you need today is supplied by what God did yesterday. The very faith you need today will be given to you by God's faithfulness last year. When you consider what God has done, then in this moment you will have faith for what you need to do. Abraham looked back and he said, Isaac came to me from a place as good as dead. And if God so sees fit, he is able to raise Isaac from the dead. So the faith I need right here in this moment is supplied to me by what God has done for me before. Abraham was eating those leftovers that God had supplied for him, all right? Stop throwing away, dismissing or forgetting God's faithfulness to you. Because what he has done for you before is precisely what you need to handle today. It's precisely what you need. Abraham also shows us what does it look like to obey God when you don't know how things will go. What does it look like in the moment where you don't know how things will go? I mean, this is part of what faith is. Remember, faith works best when it doesn't make sense. And Abraham didn't understand what God told him to do and whatever that was going to look like, but he did understand who God was. And here's what I want you to to learn from this is that a trust in God's character will fill the gaps of your understanding. So when there is a gap in your understanding, you need to have built up a trust in God's character. It'd be something like, I don't know how this will go, but I know who told me so. I don't know how this will go. I have no guarantee that this will work out a certain way. I don't know how this will go, but I know who told me so. So my trust in God's character fills the gap in my understanding. I don't ask for more always answers or clarity to how this will all work out for me to move forward. I don't need God to reveal all that to me because he's already revealed to me who he is. So who God is fills the gap, fills the gap of my understanding. A way you can say it is this way. Faith doesn't require all the information, just a revelation of who God is. Faith doesn't require all the information. 
Faith doesn't demand all the information. Faith doesn't even need all the information. Faith doesn't need all the information, but just a revelation of who God is. Faith doesn't require the full layout of the plan. Well, plan A and plan B, and this is how it works to see. No, 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 no. Faith doesn't require all the information, just a revelation of who God is. And some of you are stuck where you are and not able to move forward because you're asking God for more information and God's saying, I've given you the revelation that you need. Faith doesn't require all the information because God has given us a revelation. So then you begin to think like Abraham, I can work this out. I can work right now. My faith can work because I know God will work it out. You say with Abraham, I can take a step because God will give me a place to land my feet. I know, I'll take the step and God will supply the place to land my feet. You say, I can obey because God will make a way. I know that I can move forward the way God wants me to because he's revealed who he is. This is, you need to have this like slogan in your life. I don't need all the information because I got a revelation. I don't need all the information. I got a revelation. I got a revelation that God is faithful. How he's going to show his faithfulness, I don't know. But God is faithful and he will be faithful to me. I know God is sovereign. I have a revelation. How is God going to use all his power to work all things together for good? I don't know. But he said he would and I know he's sovereign. I got a revelation. I don't need all the information about how this is going to work out. I got a revelation that God works all things together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. I don't need all the information about what's next. I got the revelation that God will be with me wherever I go. I don't need all the information about how this will go because I got a revelation about who told me so. And I can trust God in the midst of my inability to understand. I don't need all the information because I got a revelation. If you take the next step, God will make a place for you to land your feet. You just have to trust him. The good news is that the story of Abraham and Isaac foreshadows something even greater. John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. What does Abraham and Isaac teach us is not just what does it look like for us to have faith like Abraham, but what does it look like when God gives up his only son for us? What does it look like when God puts in the work to die and rise again for us? What does it look like when my faith is built, not on my works, but on the work of Jesus? This is the place where you need to stay all the time because when you don't know how to move forward, you need to look backwards on what God has done for you. Your faith must start at the cross. Finally, and as we close, I'll have the band come back up and we're finished with this last part. Faith works today for tomorrow. Faith works today for tomorrow. So these last three examples, I told you we spend most of our time on Abraham and Isaac. I'm Abraham and Isaac. These last three examples about Jacob and Esau, and Isaac, Jacob, and Esau, Joseph, and Jacob and his sons, and then Joseph and the next thing. The main thing I want you to see from this is all of these stories require present action on the basis of future blessings. Every single one of these examples, people are speaking into being things that they will not see on earth. People are investing something that they will receive no personal return on on earth. And they're doing it the opposite of the way they expected. 
So both of these examples have the younger son being blessed more than the older, which is counter to what they had thought. And so for them to move forward, it required an understanding of what God had said and a willingness to do what God says, no matter if it makes sense. And they have faith that works today because they believe in its effect on tomorrow. But some of us don't use faith today because we expect it to give back results today. Some of us don't use our faith today because the return isn't quick enough. And what you need to understand is that faith works the most when it's focused on what it will bring about tomorrow when the future of God's promises are so real to you and to me that we act in the present, even if we see no return on our investment on earth, even if we're not around to see all the great things God will do, even if I don't get to see the problem solved here in my time, even if it doesn't work out the way I would like here now, I will still plant the seeds of faith because I know they will harvest a fruit of righteousness and I will speak blessing and favor over the people around me because I know God will sort it out and work through it. This is what faith does. Faith works today because it believes in its results for tomorrow. And if you don't care or aren't concerned about what happens tomorrow or about the kingdom beyond your earthly life or about the results of other people's lives beyond you seeing it, then your faith will be small because your faith will only work for yourself. But one of the reasons God has given you faith is so that you could use it to affect other people's lives. And most of the time, the faith you use to affect other people, you will not see the results of it fully. And if you wait to see all the good your faith will do, then you will never put in works of faith. Faith works today because it believes in God's promises for tomorrow. Faith blesses today because it believes in a blessing for tomorrow. Faith works right now in this moment because it believes that God is working for the next moment. That's what faith does. Faith works today for tomorrow. And so the question now is, do you have faith and does it work? Is your faith working because you put it in Jesus and his work for you? And is your faith active and alive in your life? Remember, faith works best in a test. Faith works by obedience and faith works today for tomorrow. Let's pray. Respond to God. God, we ask that you would lead us now. Pray for those in the room who haven't put their faith in your finished work on the cross that they would do so in this very moment. I pray for those in the middle of a testing and trying season that you would reveal what you're doing. I pray that we would be so consumed with who you are this morning that the revelation of Jesus Christ and the beauty of who God is and the power of the Almighty and the work of the Holy Spirit and the glory of the Father that these revelations, God, would be sufficient for us that we could genuinely say walking out of here, I don't need all the information. I'm okay, because I got a revelation of who God is. So would you continue to do that this morning? Would you encourage your people to trust you? We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand and respond to God?